Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is January the 8th, 2020. This is episode 2,576 of the Survival Podcast, and we are back to our regularly scheduled programming, as I've said all week. That means it's interview day. And I did send out a call for uh, folks to apply to be on a show uh, from the audience. And what I said was I was looking for people, not necessarily that have a some kind of big-time thing they want to promote, but they have anything of value that they think they can bring to the community. And I want to say today, before I even get into what the show's about, that that invitation is open. Um, you'll hear the guy that comes on today. He's been involved in what he's doing for about almost a year now, and he's been actively selling uh, product through the FBA program on Amazon, and we're going to be talking about how to build an e-commerce business today. You'll hear him say, I'm not an expert. I'm just, I've gotten started with this. It's working working out, and you know, here's what's going on, and here's how I'm building it. Um, I think that's incredibly valuable. I think if you you know, are like a 17th degree black belt in whatever you're doing or something like that. Sometimes you lose people that just want to learn about it for the first time or even maybe know a little bit about it but want to know more. So if there's anything, anybody out there that, that's got something they'd like to share, uh, apply to be a guest. I mean, the worst thing that happens is either you'll hear me tell you no or you won't hear back. I mean, it's, you're not going to get, you're not going to, I'm not going to send somebody to your house to beat you up or something because you applied for the show and it, I don't think it's a good fit. Uh, do make sure you're complete with the application form. If you send me an application form that's incomplete, I generally don't even respond to it. I just throw it away. All right. So with that, uh, here's what we're going to be talking about today. Building a business with Amazon's FBA program. The guy's name is Jeff Lozinski. And he's kind of working in a unique niche. He's working in the, the, the cannabis niche. And you might be like, well, you can't sell cannabis on Amazon. You can't. And actually, even though he's not doing that, it has made some things a little bit difficult for him. And we'll talk about both what's working really good and what maybe he would do differently the next time around. We have him on in just a minute. But I want you to be thinking about this today. I know that sometimes when I do a show, and it doesn't matter what the subject is, there's a certain segment of the audience that's like, that's not really my thing, okay? Um, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm here for all of the gardening and, and permaculture stuff and, and things like that. Okay, I get that. But you understand, there's people that are like, well, that's not my thing, and I'm here for the business stuff, or I'm here for the general prepping stuff, or whatever. I, I just want to point, there is, uh, point to the fact there is one real central overriding message and theme of the Survival Podcast. This is a show about self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. I don't know a single thing that the average person can do for themselves to give them more freedom, self-sufficiency, personal liberty, and independence than building a business that's successful enough to provide them cash flow. You know, we have a lot of talk uh, in, in the media today and in politics today about a concept of a UBI, Universal Basic Income. And I'd like you to sit back for a minute and just imagine that you don't care about how it works. And I want you to think about the central message of somebody like Andrew Yang. And this is not pro or anti anybody in politics, okay? I'm not suggesting we really do. I just want you to think about the fact that whether you like the idea or not, 
Let's say, I, I don't know, uh, unicorns are real and Andrew Yang became president. And unicorns are real and made out of gold and they crap golden nuggets for the Federal Reserve. And therefore, you can actually have your UBI. No matter what you think about doing it, you'd probably be kind of happy every month when you got your Federal Reserve space credit deposit for $1,200. If you build a relatively passive business for yourself that projects that kind of income into your life, isn't it even better because you know you don't have inflation because everybody doesn't have it for free for doing nothing? But the more passive you can be with developing at least the core of your income or some piece of your income, then that piece is always there no matter what happens. And if you, you know, Jeff's going to throw out a, a figure today about how much money you have to have in the bank to spit out with interest $500 a month. Why don't you do that calculation for yourself and figure out how much it is with $1,200? Even with a relatively mid-level, low-risk, you know, income-based portfolio producing, let's say, 5% to 7% annually, how much do you need to not have your money go down and spit out $1,200 a month? I think that anybody that really wants to in this day and age can build that kind of an income. That's not massive. That's not asking for that much. Well, once you've done that, you've got Andrew Yang's UBI for yourself. That's one of the reasons I don't think we should do it, because it will disincentivize people to go do that. But anybody can do that. The other thing you'll hear me hit on when we talk about this today is the, the, the 90-10 rule with taxes. That giant-ass tax code. All those taxes you pay. That code, only 10% of it is really what you have to do. The other 90% is how you get out of it. And I got people asking me all the time, well, how do I get out of it? It's easy to say, but how do you do it? You need a business. You need a business, and not this crap. Some of y'all, I hear this from some of y'all. They just have that business for tax write-offs. That's not how that works. A business that constantly loses money is a as a loss. It, it, you might write it off of your taxes, but you can't do it forever. A business has to make a profit a certain amount of times every five years, or it's no longer a viable business, according to the IRS. A business has to make money, but you can make money and get tax advantages at the same time. It's crazy, I know, but that's the way you do it. So be thinking about all that as we go through today's discussion, even if in general business or specifically e-commerce business is not something you're generally excited about. Also remember that we teach you in this show how to troubleshoot. And if you learn how to troubleshoot a business, you can troubleshoot damn near anything. Car's easy after that. All right, so with that, before I bring Jeff on, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is ButcherBox. I love ButcherBox, and just as a coincidence, I was cooking my lunch today, which I posted pictures of them on Facebook. I made a, I made a soup. Remember that Szechuan pepper thing that I gave out on Monday? How to make? I had leftover of that pork tenderloin from ButcherBox, so I made this soup, and a dog barked. So I looked out the window, and there's a box out by the gate because the dead mailman got away before the dog fully barked and got me to pay attention. And it was my butcher. So my butcher box full of meat just got here. I mean, I, I've said it before. I take payment from butcher box and meat. They're the only sponsor I have that pays me in product. That tells you how much I like the product. Check them out today, butcherbox.com. Remember, you can get a really great discount that will buy you free bacon for life if you are an MSB member. And I'll tell you this, too. I can't promise anything, but twice now they've had special deals like an all-in deal. Like if you buy, like, a certain amount of beef up front, you get like two pounds of beef forever as long as you stay a customer for life. 
You know, so like it pays itself back in three months, and then like seven months later, you're still getting it. Two years later, you're still getting it. There's been two different, actually three different things. I slipped on one. I didn't get it for myself, but I got it for y'all. Where I got them to make an exception, it was supposed to be for new customers only. I got it for y'all. They take care of this audience, and their meat is fantastic. Check them out today, butcherbox.com. Remember, I don't really care if you use the banners on the website. I don't have affiliate relationships with our sponsors or anything like that. But ButcherBox has a one-time discount if you're not an MSB member. So if you're going to go to ButcherBox because of this show, go ahead and use the, the, use the banner on the website for that. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Easiest company I've ever been asked to sponsor my life to say yes to. Because I became a customer by buying off the bookshelf from Backwoods Home in 1993, and I became a subscriber in 1994. I, this is 2020, and I'm still a customer of Backwoods Home. They are the journal of self-sufficiency and self-reliance and independence with a libertarian flair. They are just awesome. Check them out today at backwoodshome.com. All right, with that, let's get into this. I gotta, before I bring on Jeff, I got a really big... Special announcement, and it ties in with our quote of the day. Let me give you the quote of the day first. This is by a guy named W.S. Merwin, who was a man that planted an awful lot of trees in his life. He was also a poet, and he has a poem called Place, and I'm going to read the whole poem to you, but the most quoted line that this man ever penned was as followed, and it's from that, that poem, Place. On the last day of the world, I would want to plant a tree. Let me read the poem for you, because it is really short. On the last day of the world, I would want to plant a tree. What for? Not the fruit. The tree that bears the fruit is not the one that was planted. I want the tree that stands in the earth for the first time with the sun already going down and the water touching its roots in the earth full of the dead and the clouds passing one by one over its leaves. Now, as much as you might like the quote, when you hear that whole poem, you might be, wow, it's a little bit dark. It's actually not. It's very hopeful. What Merwin is saying is as long as there's trees... As long as there's trees, no matter what happens to us, the earth will take care of itself and rebuild. And that's why this man planted thousands and thousands of trees in his life. He wasn't a guy that just wrote about it. He was a guy that did it. And the reason I picked that quote of the day for you today is I have a way for you to plant some trees. Uh, quite a bit of them. Quite a lot of them, depending on what you want to do. Nick Ferguson, who has done a lot to help members of this audience. I mean, Nick Ferguson's a guy that... I've had teach at my workshops, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, he's still standing in front of a whiteboard helping people design their property for free, even though he gets paid really good to do it. And I've had to say, Nick, time out. You've got to have a beer with me tonight before I go to bed. This guy, that's how dedicated Nick's been. And he has served on the expert council until recently when he took a sabbatico to go uh, take on a job to support his family because he wasn't able to quite make a go of it the first time around doing it on his own. And we're talking about building a business today. That's what I'm bringing Jeff on to talk about in just a minute. Nick went out and developed some seed capital, and he's decided he needs really a little bit more. He wants to be in the plant business. That's what he's always really wanted to do. And he's got the knowledge. He's got the experience. He's got the space. And so I worked with Nick. We put together some packages. 
We found a way where Nick can do a huge bulk buy and buy thousands of trees, break them into packages, and sell them to y'all way less than you would pay for them from anywhere else. And since we're doing it that way, we don't have to worry about them growing them out for a year or anything. If somebody's going to be delivering this spring. There's only like a hundred, somewhere between a hundred to two hundred of these that he's going to be able to do. He's going to be watering his orders and figuring out what he can do and cutting it off when he has to. I'm telling you, I think this is going to sell out the way I did for Grant Schultz a couple of years ago. He's got a new website. It's called rareplantstore.com. And here's your choices with planting those trees and leaving that legacy behind. The most basic one is a hardy and healthy fruit duo. Uh, five Hanson's Bush cherries and five elderberries. I've pushed both of those a lot because they're amazing. That's 65 bucks. If you go look in something like the Gurney's catalog, uh, Hanson's Bush cherries would be 20 bucks a piece. Uh, next up, he's got fantastic fodder trees. He's got some articles, too, that will be in the show notes today about why you might want to use fodder trees. But that's four hybrid popular, three white mulberries, one weeping willow, And one false indigo is a nitrogen fixer, 65 bucks. Okay, it gets better. He's got a combo package. It's basically all of that together. Five bush cherries, five elderberries, four hybrid poplars, three white mulberry, one leaping willow, and one false indigo, 99 bucks. I'm not done yet. He's got what he's calling an expert package. This is one, dude, if you got the space for some trees and you want to put in fodder, Fruit and beauty. Why do you hear this for two hundred fifty bucks, two hundred forty nine bucks to be exact? He's called expert package. Five bush cherries, five elderberries, four hybrid poplar, four white mulberry, two weeping willow, two silver maples, two American elms, two thornless honey locusts. Those are an awesome tree, by the way. Um, two black locusts, two white hybrid willow or two hybrid willows. And two false indigo nitrogen fixers. So if you'd like to plant a tree and not wait till the last day of the world to do it, consider supporting Nick and helping get his new venture off the ground and getting a great effing deal. This isn't one of those things where, you know, like you're basically throwing money at somebody because you like them. I don't know where you can get that type of a mix selected by a guy that really knows what he's doing to go together and form a foundation of something really awesome for 250 bucks. Again, you got options anywhere from $65, $99, $249. The website is rareplantstore.com. There will be a link in the show notes, and I will have links to a couple articles on his site as well about all of this great stuff. And I'll have a post coming out about it tomorrow, but I didn't want to wait any longer than today to let you all know about that. So there we go. Just one more time, the quote of the day before I introduce our guests. On the last day of the world, I would want to plant a tree. Because as long as we leave trees behind, I'm telling you, in the end, the cosmic reality is the world will be okay. With that, let's bring our special guest on and talk about planting another kind of tree, an entrepreneurship tree, a business that grows and develops through an e-commerce platform known as Fulfilled by Amazon. With that, hey, Jeff, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey there, Jack. Thanks so much for having me. So yeah, I'm a longtime listener. I've been listening since around 2015. And I just want to thank you, first of all, to appreciate your all the different input, ideas, advice you give to your audience. I've definitely used some of that to my own benefit. I've been doing keto for a year and a half to, to great benefit. I've been making mead. I've even tried some hydroponics. 
And I'd have to say that some of your information has definitely been a, an influence in me starting this business and, and moving forward. Well, and go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, so then when I heard you're looking for guests from the audience, I thought it'd be great to share what I've been up to for the past year in my first successful business and really so that others can benefit and consider it as a tool, something to free themselves from their nine to five or something to earn some little bit of cash on the side. So my objective really is to give you guys an overview and the audience an overview of this process, my experience with it. And I'm, I'm by no means an FBA uh, expert, but I'm, I'm working on it. You know, I'm glad you're on with us today because I honestly think at times an expert is probably the wrong answer because you end up getting in a very minute detail that, you know, you've learned over eight years when you're an expert in something. And you got people out here trying to figure out, well, how do I get started? So someone that's about a year into it, often, you know, you have enough knowledge to know what you're doing, uh, but you also still remember not knowing anything. So Absolutely. I think it's going to be a great deal. And you know, since you listen to the show, that, like, business to me is one of the most liberating things that a person can get involved in for the income, for the freedom, and also for the ability to kind of rape the 90% of the tax code that's designed to, you know, actually to show you how to not do what the 10% says you have to do. Uh, so this will be a fantastic interview, and I think Amazon is a great platform. Before we get into that, though, dude, tell me, you know, a little bit about Jeff, the person. Uh, you probably didn't come out your mom, get through kindergarten, and think, I'm going to start up an e-commerce business. So kind of what was your background coming out of, like, high school or whatever, and what have you been doing up until you decided to give this a shot? Sure. Uh, so I graduated high school, uh, well, graduated college with a degree in accounting, and I worked at one of the big four accounting firms for several years doing audit. So so my background's really, it's in accounting, but audit is what I've been working on for about the past 10 years or so. So a lot of experience in questioning others, doubting different things, and being having an inquisitive mind. So that's really helped me, helped me benefit from starting a business and other things. So in addition to that, throughout that time, I've been traveling. So I love to travel. Uh, I'll travel either for work. So I've been in Africa. I was in Uganda and Ghana just this year for work. And I'll usually tack on a little side vacation to that. Uh, for my own personal benefit and go somewhere on my own. So after going to Uganda, I spent a few days in the jungles there, and we got to view some wild mountain gorillas, which is pretty cool because that's one of the only places in the world they exist. So with, maybe with all this going on in your life, you sound like a busy guy that's got a lot going on and, and, and a lot of interests. Um, what made you decide that you wanted to take on the, the burden? Because it's a burden of building a business. What was the kind of impetus? It's like, you know, I want more than I have. It's really just freedom, and it's a change of pace. It's I've been doing working a desk job for almost 10 years now, and I'm, I want to say I'm a pretty creative person, and I think I've got more to bring to the table than, you know, punching a clock. And I don't necessarily fit that mold, and I kind of learn that more and more each day. So it's really for a new experience to create something on my own and to have greater freedom of my life and to be able to travel around and not necessarily be tied down to a geographic location. Absolutely, man. So what actually gave you the idea then for starting an e-commerce business? And there's a like a, a gazillion ways, almost literally, not actually, but almost literally a gazillion ways that people can sell online today. So what made you gravitate toward the Amazon platform? So the uh, Amazon, uh, I'll get into in a little bit. Obviously, it's a huge platform. But I'll, uh, what got me into the whole e-commerce realm was I, I listened to a bunch of podcasts. Of course, one of yours is 
the top one on there. And another one is uh, the Side Hustle School. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. But they have a bunch of every week they'll have an example of someone kind of like me who has a full-time job and does something, and then sometimes that grows into something more. And in one of the episodes, there was a gentleman that he was on Amazon, and he realized that there was no high-quality manual coffee grinder that existed on Amazon, like a, a hand crank one. So he developed an improved one, put up for sale, and he ended up getting around 300 grand of sales in the first year. So you know, you, you slap on a 30% average profit margin, that, that's a pretty hefty sum of, of net income for a, a side hustle. So with with that those kind of numbers, like, huh, like that's that's pretty cool. Like that that puts it all into perspective. Like it can be more than just a little bit of money per month. It can be a real thing. So the like coming from a finance background, if you want a five hundred dollar income stream per month, what you need like two uh, three hundred grand in the bank at two percent. So you don't quite need that much to pull in something significantly higher if you're you're working with inventory and e commerce. So that that that's really what what kind of spark, put the spark in my mind to take a look at it and to look deeper into it. And I've always, as I said, always really wanted to run my own business for greater independence. I've tried other endeavors in the past, but they turned out, turned out to be a little difficult to scale. Like I had a YouTube channel and it was for, you know, it is for woodworking instructional videos. So that kind of requires you to be in the shop, spending time shooting, editing. So that's kind of hard to do when you're traveling around. So that proved a little bit more less of a reality for, for what I was looking for. And in terms of Amazon, I'd say, like, why Amazon? It's by far the largest uh, e-commerce platform out there. Uh, and even eBay, I think, is is only a small, small percentage of the, of the total there. And with that being said, I'll say, uh, I guess some of the – so that's kind of why I got into Amazon or selected them, why I started – and I, and I will say for the audience, so what are the benefits of this type of business? And the benefits really are is you can build these real income streams that are, are scalable. And they're, they're going to scale based on your effort, which is a lot more real than maybe a desk job where you're only going to get a few percent each year if you, did, if you got a little cookie at the end of the year if you did a good job. So your, your income could double or triple, but your hours won't necessarily follow in that manner. Uh, another great thing benefit, I think, is you can develop your own unique brand and business. And in this case... When we talk about Amazon in this case, I want to say private label. And private label is when you take a product and you put your own logo, your own branding. You pretty much make it yours. And that, that gives you a way to differentiate yourself from other, other, other products. And the third part is it really allows you to work more on your own schedule. Uh, as long as you have an Internet connection and you're, you're connected to some extent, you can really operate from wherever you want and uh, at your own, uh, to some extent at your own leisure. Well, yeah, man, that's that's awesome. I, I really like what you said there coming into that um, about right off the beginning of how to find a niche. Um, as somebody that does a lot of, as an Amazon affiliate instead of an Amazon seller, I can tell you that there's a lot of places where I need something, and I'm like, well, if I find it on Amazon, it costs me the same or less than it does in the store. I don't have to leave the house, and I can sell it as an affiliate. Well, that's a win, 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 win. And then I'll start trying to find something, and it's like, God, this is all absolute, total garbage. And it'll take a lot of work to find something that's quality. And usually when I do, I can look at things from the affiliate side, and I can see that, boy, that sells really well. And as an affiliate, I want to sell what sells well. 
So there's a lot of openings there. So I think that's an awesome way to kind of locate a niche. You mentioned a coffee grinder, so I think that's cool. Uh, so maybe you can say some more on that. But what I'd kind of like you to go next is you're doing um, FBA, which is fulfilled by Amazon. Can you kind of give us an overview? You do find your niche, whatever it is, or you find a product-to-private label like you mentioned or whatever it is, and you want to take it to market now. How do you how do you start that process, and what's it like, and how does it work, and you know what is required of you, and all of that? Okay, first I'll, I'll just quickly do this. So fulfillment by Amazon. So you probably, if you're probably many of you are Amazon customers, if you go to buy something, it will say in some cases it'll be sold by ABC company, and then it'll be fulfilled by Amazon. So that means that that part that item is being sold by a third party. It's not being sold by Amazon. But Amazon's the one doing the all the inventory work there. So fulfillment by Amazon is really the outsourcing of the storage, the picking, the packing, the shipping of inventory to Amazon. So you're you're selling on their platform and they're dealing with all the inventory for you. So that's really the FBA program. And of course they charge you for that. They charge you for each item based on its weight and they charge you a percentage fee. So so they, they charge you, but it's it's pretty darn cheap in terms of the shipping. You're not going to get a better rate because they really negotiate pretty well with uh, due to their size. And so to get started, uh, I would say uh, the the general business model in this type of a situation is step one, right? You design your product and you have your product manufactured. In this case, you would have them, in my case, actually, I'd have them manufactured overseas. So in China, India, some of the countries that are more of a low-cost location. So then you would order, pay the for the inventory, have it shipped directly to Amazon's warehouse. And Amazon will then spread that all around the country. Uh, actually, oddly enough, mine is was shipped to Dallas, so just a little ways down the road from your location. There's a pretty big fulfillment center there. And then you create a listing and sell your product. Your customers will buy the product. Amazon will take their cut. They'll ship it out to the customer. And this is all where you never actually touch the inventory in this case. It's all, it's all through them. So they buy it. And then your, your role is really to do the marketing uh, and to provide customer service. And returns are done through Amazon, but sometimes you can have them shipped to your house if you want to repair them and, and do that that kind of thing. And then you get paid, and then you got to reorder and kind of start that process over again. And to really get into it, it's, it's not too hard. Uh, th- there are some requirements to, to set up an Amazon seller account, but it's, it's really – it's really that just taking that risk, taking the plunge, and, and or making that first order is probably the most teeth chattering part of the whole experience. So FBA, so, so fulfillment by Amazon is a little bit different. I want to mention a few different e-commerce versions, different realms of it. So Jack mentioned the affiliate program, which is if you have a blog or something, you're promoting the the product, and the affiliate would get a percentage of that sale. The other one is, is uh, drop shipping, and this one is would be if you were selling a product through your own platform, and you would bu- have it shipped directly from the manufacturer. So you wouldn't touch the inventory, and you wouldn't own it. In FBA, you actually own the inventory. It's yours. Uh, some other components are would be some hybrid approach. So even if you weren't using FBA fully, if you manufactured a product yourself, let's say you made some type of craft item, but you didn't want to deal with the shipping part, you could actually package your items that you make send them to Amazon and have Amazon fulfill them without ever even selling them on Amazon. There's different providers that do that, so that, that's another option for some people. But the first step, really, of this whole process, so if we want to break this down into really high points of a product life cycle, 
the first one is Jack, as you're mentioning, is product research. So that is is one of the most time consuming parts, especially for your first product, and and really designing that project product and making it different from the competition. The next big step is supplier. So like. You can't just pick anyone in China to make your product. You want to make sure they're reliable. So finding a good supplier is significant and would be step two. Three would be ordering your product, having it manufactured, and having it shipped. This is a little more hands-off once you, the cash goes out the door, but it, it takes some time. And this is where you want to have a product inspection. Once it's done, you don't want to trust anyone over there until you, you have some evidence of it. Then when your product arrives, you're going to do part four, your product launch, where you're, you're going to sale, do some sales, your marketing, customer service, and you really want to get good reviews. That's the name of the game on Amazon. Five would be continuous product improvement. You want to keep that product getting better and better because there's a lot of competition and everything's moving, so you don't want to be standing still. And the last one would be reordering to get, the, get your new shipment. So that's really the high-level piece of it. And to give you a perspective on, on the timeline of, so I started in earnest January 1st, 2019. It took me about three months of doing research, going on YouTube, getting information before I, I made my first order, which is the end of March. Then after the first order, in this case, it was a, so my niche is a, uh, it's in the smoking, like the marijuana paraphernalia niche. And it's a wooden box that is it's called a stash box. And it's really just designed to hold rolling papers, to hold your grinder, to hold your herb jars and things like that. Uh, and it has a lock on it. So I, I did see some other products like that that were selling pretty well that I thought were not very well designed. And by looking at those products uh, and looking at the negative reviews, I was able to design it in a way that I thought was superior. And with that first order at the end of March, production finished like 30 working days, so like 50 days later, so in the middle of May. That stuff all gets loaded on a ship that goes across the ocean from Shanghai to Dallas. That takes about 45 days. And then around the first week of July is when I first started selling. So I've been selling for uh, five or six months okay. so far. But that, that really took – that's the that's the kind of the timeline uh, that it took. That's awesome. Now, let me ask you a question, and I mean, I don't know how much you even know about this, but you probably know more than me, and I've always wondered this when looking at the FBA model. So one of the ways that Amazon puts a product in, in, my, in my front yard so fast is they have all these distribution centers. And if you're freaking, you know, Tyco or something like that with, you know, a massive inventory, having a product strategically located in a bunch of distribution centers is probably going to happen without you doing anything because Amazon figures that out for themselves with that large mass market product. How does this FBA work or how does it affect delivery for a much smaller vendor like yourself? I mean, I don't, you, you can tell us if you want to, like how much product you keep in inventory or some rough estimate. You know, when somebody orders in, Washington State versus if you're you know coming out of the Dallas facility or what have you because my understanding from what you're saying correct me if I'm wrong is once you get this rolling you don't really touch the product Amazon does so right. how does that affect delivery to your end customer timeline all that stuff so you you totally like when you when you give the inventory to Amazon it's it's more or less it's all it's in their hands there's some minor interaction you can okay. have with but their algorithms which are probably better than our guesstimates are going to forecast, even if you, there's no data on your product, they'll yeah. take a separate product and they will distribute it across the United States 
to where it, they think it's going to sell, and 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 sometimes they'll even reshift it. But the second, let's just say, a thousand my boxes arrive in Dallas, they immediately get shipped out the doors all over the country. Huh. Uh, they don't always tell you which location. I'd have to do some digging, but it, if I were to guess where they actually go, it's going to be the big major shipping center. So, like you know, Kentucky, you're going to have something in California. Obviously, Dallas is a huge center. Something that where anywhere in the country you can reach it in two days with that prime shipping. So I think that's really their objective is setting it up in that way. So they get strategic with it. As it grows, they figure it out. Okay, good. That's that's a huge value add from them. I mean, that's massive. Um, like you said, they're going to be better at it than we are. It's the only thing they do uh, to, to really earn their buck is to make sure they can deliver product. Uh, so that's cool. Um, would you say there's like, like if you're going to do this, there's a minimum quantity. You just mentioned like a thousand units. Like, is there a point where it's it's just not enough product? Uh, and, and what happens if you sell out? So you don't want to sell out. Uh, it, it's not the end. That's of the world. my understanding that you don't want to sell. In fact, you yeah. can tell me if I'm wrong here. My understanding is when you see a product with a stupid price on it, it's like usually like a fifty dollar product, and it's <laughs> marked up to like five hundred dollars. That's a seller going, don't buy this one. I don't want to lose my, you know, my ranking in the in the search and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely what that is. Okay, uh, you, you it goes based on kind of an average thirty day sales as your your ranking, and then some other black box calculation, and you get pinged a little bit for dinged a little bit for having stuff out of stock. So you ideally don't want to do it. I think your your initial question was how, what's the minimum quantity? Yeah, the, you know, it makes sense if you're going to do this. So it, so it's a supply chain. So it depends on how quickly from your order date does it is it going to get to the warehouse. Hmm. So if you've got a heavy item like my box is a little bit heavier, it's expensive to ship that in an airplane. So I I just prefer to ship it on a on a boat because it's sitting it's like you know a fifth the price. Gotcha. So that makes my supply chain turn into like a three and a half month experience. So you, your first order is probably not going to sell quickly off the bat, but you ideally want to have enough that's res- that gets in the door that's going to cover you until your next shipment can arrive. Uh, so, but I would say like three to five hundred is is a good number on your very first product because unless we're talking about something that's you know five hundred dollars, which would be unlikely, um, but that 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 would be a good starting point. It would at least give you enough stock to to work from to then figure out all right, what are my average sales per day. How long is it going to take? And it gives you some forecasting uh, stuff to work with. All right. So can you just talk about, like, since you've been doing this and you do have this income stream, what kind of impact does having a – it's not a passive income stream. You have to do work. But relative to, hey, I'm going to go make five or 600 bucks a month driving for Uber, it's pretty passive once you get to where you are. Now it's yeah. do I want it to be this? Do I want it to grow? Do I want to add product line? In one way or another, you've got a fairly decent stream of income coming in from the work you've already done. What does that do for personal freedom? So I, I would say that if, it, like I said, right now, so I'll definitely have it after the first. You don't make a lot of money in your first order, but I've I've gone through my second order, and after that, at the end of it, I've done all the accounting, added up all the numbers, do have a decent profit. So I, I just would say, I guess, in my personal circumstance, it hasn't changed much yet because all that money had to immediately go out the door for the next batch to sell more. So with with that cash flow, uh, your money kind of goes up and down. It, it's going to take a while for you to – you need to have a full cycle of production, sell all of it, get all the cash from Amazon, and, and then have enough left over to order again before I think you're really going to see that build up in your bank account, if that makes sense. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so, so not yet, but I certainly hope it to be much different in the future as, uh, as I sell more and add to different products. And I think that like, as you get that platform built out and you understand the process better, the easiest way to grow your sales is to grow your product line. Yes. I know when I find something unique from a seller on Amazon, first thing I do is click on that seller, you know, it'll say, you know, provided buyer or whatever. It's click on that seller. Well, what, what, what else do you got? Especially when I've ordered once or twice from them and especially if something goes wrong and they fix it. I want to know everything that individual sells because if it's something I need in the future, now I have a trusted source. If you listen to the show, you know, for example, and I'm sure a lot of their product is made by, you know, made, is provided by other people under a different name, but like eTech City. They have tons of electronic stuff. It all comes from China. But I know damn well if I buy one or recommend one and it doesn't work out, they're going to fix it. So I think you're basically, your, your model here is you establish this beachhead and then you expand. So, yeah, and I think one of the advantages you have is as an accountant, you're probably decent at forecasting. So I think that's a skill some others may have to develop as they try to figure out where to go next. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the customer service aspect is, is really where you can set yourself apart. I think especially if you're talking about buying electronics, I think I have some of the lanterns from that company that you recommended. Yeah. They, they uh, It's a big difference because some companies, if it's junk, you might you – might, Give them a bad review or send a message and they don't respond because they they're selling they're making two cents on it they don't really care about reviews they're selling volume whereas if you find one in like your case where that cares it really does matter and they that is something that people will will look for I, I, I do think Amazon makes it a little more difficult because because uh, you want to do you're, you're trying to do two competing things you want to use Amazon's enormous platform to to get your business off the ground and sell. But Amazon treats every customer that you sell to as theirs. They don't want them to be your customer, so yeah. they make it very difficult for you to reach out to that customer. For example, if someone leaves a negative review, I don't I don't know who that is unless they put their name down and I can kind of triangulate. But they're making that very difficult. So it's harder. It, it becomes harder to do that customer service uh, while on their platform. But you want you want to work as hard as you can, as quickly as you can, to get people to your platform, whether it's Shopify, or if you're selling on um, Etsy or somewhere else where it's really yours, yeah. where you can directly get that customer list. Because all the I might have sold X number you know, thousand boxes, but I don't have anyone's email. Like I don't have a customer list. That's all Amazon's. So that's that's kind of like the devil's deal you got to work with. Mm. But yeah, I was gonna just ask you about that because I figured that because I mean I understand completely why, but I can't see. Jack crap about anybody as an affiliate. I, I could see items sold, the quantity, and the day they were sold. That's it. Um, and I totally understand that I, because the vendor wouldn't want me to have that information either. I, I get that. But my marketing brain just came to something. I think anybody doing what y'all are doing needs to have some sort of enticement in the packaging. You know, yes, of course. You've got to have someone that says, hey, come to the site, register, get this free thing or whatever, uh, what have you. So... Because that's a way to start building that database outside of Amazon. Because I would imagine a lot of the stuff, you don't even care if you're selling it on Amazon as much as you care that you can't you can't recontact the customer. Like the easiest thing to do to make sales this month is to contact the people that bought from you two months ago and say, hey, I got yes. this new thing or, hey, we got this new enhancement or whatever. So, yeah, but that's uh, – yeah, the – the strategy there, at least back of the book selling, 
1970s authors wrote all these books and they self-published long before Create Space and Amazon swallowed that. And it was really expensive. You had to actually print the book and sell the book. And they made almost no money per book. They made money with the book. It was that back of the book following through sales, right? So that's this is the modern version of that. So that's kind of interesting. Um, you mentioned you're selling into the kind of cannabis smoking accessories uh, niche. What made yep. you decide to go there? So I honestly stumbled upon the product and uh, doing my research, understanding what products sold well, which had good revenue, low reviews that I could improve. It, I just land, I saw it, I'm like, this is something I can make better. Uh, and it's a little bit ironic. Like I'm not a big smoker. Uh, some of my friends from college might still do, but like that's not that's not 100 percent of of who I am. But I do like the business development part. I like improving the product. So so it kind of fell into my lap a little bit. I'm like, huh, I can have some fun with this too. I can make it better. I can put a pretty cool logo on it, and it's it's a little more exciting than maybe selling like diapers or or, or baby clothes. You know, something that I could identify with a little bit more. So it, it is something I stumbled a bit upon, and it's it just a little bit – it's interesting. I didn't think that that's where I would have landed as a first product, but here we are today. Huh. I'm actually on your website checking your product out now, and I can see you know you put some real time into to, to doing this, and you, it looks like you already have a second product, so that's cool. And I, I think that it's a good niche, and I think it's a good niche for the same reason that – um, I would think that doing some sort of vape product, not the actual insert, but the uh, the physical product would be. Uh, I've never vaped in my life. I have no interest in it. But what I've noticed when I see two guys that vape talk, they start showing each other their freaking thing, right? Like, And it's, yeah. they've got all these like sculpted things on it and stuff. And so it's like people that smoke, whether it's a vape type thing or whether it's a smoking, whether it's cigarettes, whatever, seem to have this – like affinity for look, feel, accessorization, what have you. And I might not fully understand it, but I recognize it. And I think when you can sell into that, you, the more you go toward, in my opinion, selling toward a want versus a need, the stronger your marketing becomes. So it's like it looks cool, it's different, it's high quality, you know, so I, I can see why you would pick that niche, and I think that like the takeaway for the audience is, well, don't don't jump into that niche. Jump into the niche that you find that kind of has these these hallmarks to it. Something that makes people go, well, I've already got one. Like in a, a Holy Grail, right? It's already got one, but I want another one because like almost a collectible kind of mindset there. Or the one I have works, but not as good as I think this will. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it, as you mentioned, it's 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 a community. It's like it's it's a niche. It's a community. There's a different. If you go to Instagram, there's a whole separate community of different it's memes, and it's all a different world out there. And and yeah, people identify with with you know, their smoking, their their products, probably more than strongly than other. Maybe you're not going to identify it with your cutting board as much as you would with your your vaping brand or, or accessories that go with it. So it it is definitely more of an opportunity to market to that to that want. And, and I think also you mentioned Jack is the insert. So the I've, I've surprisingly found that a lot of things on Amazon don't have that when they when they probably should. But even if it's just simple, hey, please leave a review. But what's a really nifty thing is, and I don't know if you've seen this in any of the things you've purchased, is you put a little QR code, like a, a barcode that you can scan on your uh -huh. phone. And if you scan that, what happens is is it'll take you to Facebook Messenger. 
and there's an app called ManyChat, and it basically lets you set up an automated, like a bot that will that can guide your your customer to like if you want to give them tips and tricks, if you want to send them to a YouTube video about the product, uh, instructions, any any type of value you want to add. It actually allows you to to do that in, in in that way using just the insert without directly you know violating any terms or anything like that. Because uh, uh, Amazon's pretty particular in what they they allow. So that's one way you can start to build up that list of, of customers and potentially market them in the future. And it's all numbers game, though. Does every person scan that card or even look at it? Sure. Uh, you know, maybe six to ten percent of people do, but that's pretty good. So uh, for the two cents it takes to to put an insert in there. So that's a way to differentiate and to, to build that that goodwill, and then maybe make that sale later on to uh, for for product number two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to get too into what Amazon will and won't let you do, but I my my mind is kind of churning there as to how to increase that rate because <laughs> as you start selling, you know, thousands of units, every percentage point you can push that response up starts to become yep. more and more important. Because you're building a brand, you're not just selling on a platform. So that's that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, what kind of upfront time commitment? You kind of covered that a little bit already, but you know, what does it really take to get it established? And now that you you're not done, right? And you got other things you want to do, but like, how much time do you spend now? You know, a day or a yeah. week seeing to this. So, so agreed, and as we we're saying, it's, it's a little. It's not exactly passive, but in the upfront, the research. When, when you're starting at zero, it, it takes a lot of time. And, it, and as I mentioned, it took me three full months of working, probably two or three hours a day on average, of of getting up a little bit early, watching some videos, learning, really learning every single step in the process. Uh, you could probably wing it a bit more, but I want to understand what happens when I order. What happens? What are the pitfalls here? What are other people? have concerns with what what's the next step what does amazon require what are the rules so really knowing from from step one ordering to actually getting paid and paying your taxes it really helps you to at least have a good outline of how that all works so that that took me a few months uh under you know two three hours a day uh your mileage will vary and with that being said after things were established and now that i've got a rhythm right i'm just reordering i got a calendar and just keeping things in supply, doing the customer service. It's probably about an hour a day, um, maybe a little bit more depending on when I'm ordering things, but it's not too bad. It's always interesting that things come in waves. Like I'll have a slew of people that scan the card and have questions, and then I'll have to you know, ping them back and forth, and then I'll have a week of nothing. So it, it, it's a boomer bust, and it just, it just seems to go in that way. But it's not a significant time commitment ongoing once it's set up. Again, this is with one product. Once you start to multiply, it get a little bit more, but but totally doable. But I mean, once you have more than one product, you, you can start that the money will start really coming in at that point, and you you can start questioning whether you need to keep going to the office anymore, if you want to put more time into it and, and even get more out of it from that point. You can also start looking at you know it's a pretty basic function. We're sorry that thing broke. Here's a new one. Um, yes. This is how that I, I was looking at like some of your negative reviews. You have a few. You have like 70% five-star, which is awesome for a first-timer. Um, but I noticed that you responded to all of the negative reviews. And, like, sorry that happened because, I don't know, like, I've mailed shit. It gets broken. Um, or you know, there are some customers too stupid to work a lock. But you can train a CSR to do all of that, and you don't need a high-level you know, PhD 
right. to do CSR work. You can get a remote CSR agent, and so as you grow, you can scale labor into it, and it might not even be a CSR does everything. It's I'm going to be part-time CSR and have another part-time CSR so I can go screw off with my extra money. So, like, there's so many ways to scale into that because it just isn't hard, Inclu- especially if you can train a CR- CSR this. Here's your book. Here's all the stuff you're, you're allowed to answer, right? Anything yeah. that's not in this book, don't do it. Escalate it to me. <laughs> don't touch it. Send me an email. Don't. If it's not in the book and you can't cut and paste it, don't do it. And it, it's amazing, like, you can if you actually give a person those firm guidelines. That's the biggest thing I found with like young young people today in that kind of a role. You got to tell them exactly what you want. But if you do, some bitch they do it. You know, it's like this is your this is your wheelhouse. You do these things. And with mod, like there's inexpensive software where you if you have somebody billing you by the hour, they basically log in to do their work on their machine and they can't lie about how they're billing you. Like back when I was a, um, a VP of sales for Fluke, one of my rep firms had software like that so that he knew when his reps were actually doing their work and stuff. And it was really expensive. And now it's like as cheap as like an individual account at Salesforce. So there's so many ways you could manage that if you had to scale over time. And I, I think that's really cool because Amazon does all the other side. You, you mean – Including, I imagine, like, let's say I get a product, and for whatever reason it's defective, and I want a new one. I don't imagine you do a lot for that other than take the hit. Yeah, if someone has a defective product, I mean, so here's the problem is, like, and I don't, I don't think Amazon sets it up in a way where it's easy for the customer to contact the seller. It's or not. If they can- because <laughs> I all those negative reviews, no one reached out to me, and I, I tried to email as many of them as I could through the platform, yeah. but people opt out of the third-party messages, so it's not even possible for me to contact them. Mm. But what I would do is I I just say, look, I'm so sorry, like you got a you got a screwed up one. Don't even worry about returning it. I'm going to ship you one right away. What's the address? Like that. This is my response yeah. for any. Of this. Is Would is you- it within <laughs> the permissions of Amazon to in that insert have? If you have any problems at all, email you know customer service at primalproducts.com. They, they don't. They would prefer you to do it through the Amazon platform, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that it, there's some gray area in that. Uh, but but yes, that, that's something uh, to, to certainly consider because that. So then I so problems, questions, concerns. Visit primalproducts.com forward slash support. Yeah, yeah. The, it's um they. And again, they have problems sometimes with putting your address in it or your your website on it. But um, yeah. it's yeah, but it's cer- certainly sh- should the person see that. I think sometimes when they open it, that my, my insert is maybe it's in some other packaging, so they yeah. don't even bother to open it. If it's broke. So this is all the learning process, right? Is yeah. right, I need to stick the insert somewhere where even if it's broken in the rare chance, they can't miss it. If you can trust but, China to not do it with a <laughs> um, something that will infuriate a customer because it won't come off. A sticker on yeah. the product itself, right? Oh, if it was, oh, if there was a right. sticker right on it, right? Like, it's a fixed, easy peel, and it actually didn't, because that, that's my only concern to be glued on with like horse glue or something. Yeah, you know, and one of those things never tears off, right? And always you have to scrape it off. Of I'm so angry, so it's it's a risk. But like, if you could do that, right? Like that way, it would be front and center all the time. You know, product yep. support or something like that. Or, you know, 
even if it doesn't directly say contact, you know, the page can. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Like, anything you can do to get them yeah. over there before they bitch in the reviews. Yeah. You know, that's... Then at that point, you lose the... You can't... It's a bad review. You can't... If you can't contact them, you kind of lose out on helping them. Because it's the biggest problem. Like, if I get something and it's like, oh, man, i got to return it now. i got to throw it in a box. And yeah. It's just a pain for them. But if they know, hey, I'm just going to ship it. Don't even worry about it. You'll get another one. That's... That would take, I think, a lot of turn a one into something higher than that. Well, yeah, like my favorite, um, my favorite five star reviews to re read are: initially, this product was broken or whatever, got screwed up, blah blah blah. Contacted seller immediately replaced it. It's awesome, like that. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with this guy. So anything, actually, then, so if you're manufacturing in China. Yep. No matter how much you put Q QC on this, you're gonna have. You know, when you deal in thousands of products, if 1% has a problem, it's a significant total. And people that are not happy complain a lot more than people are happy say they're happy. Right. Absolutely. Like, that's, that's just a thing. So if you can get them to you before they do the damage, the problem becomes a solution in the permaculture world. So um, one of the things people really look at with a business is startup capital. You know, yeah. what kind of startup capital do you have to put into this? This is like, uh, I'm looking, you have two products. I don't even know if both of them are on Amazon. One's like a mid $30 product. The other one's like a $15 product. Like, and it's only two. So that's not a huge thing. But when you start going by a thousand, you know, what, what is the kind of a capital outlay? And then you got to get graphics done. I mean, I noticed one of the things with your product you do, you got really great f photography of it, dimensions, all that stuff. You know, what did all that take to get off the ground? So I would say like a lot of the startup stuff is is going to be it's it's not it's not the end of like you don't have to go and, and go nuts with it. Like you'll need to start off you'll need we probably need a thousand bucks just for administ like just different software to do research to get started. Like just just all these different programs you might need and different analytics. And, and miscellaneous stuff. Uh, if you have a, already have a good camera, that's excellent, and that's I would recommend just take your own product photos because otherwise, if you get a new version, you got to keep shipping it to someone else, and that that adds up. Um, with with that being said, it's really it depends on your product, right? So five hundred of a fifty dollar electronic is going to require a lot more startup capital than maybe something that's a like a plastic comb, for example. So it really depends on what you get into, and that's that's probably a big consideration with what you select as your first product or what you select to go into because your risk and reward goes up uh, as as you start jacking up that 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 product but if i would say if uh, you know if it's a moderately you want to have something that sells over 20 bucks on amazon so you can have some decent play to work with and then uh 500 of those units and then build in the shipping costs so you want to have, at least be able to cover that and then probably cover your second order. So maybe two to three times that first purchase price or first first order would be probably what you'd want to have in the bank to be, just to be safe. So uh, really depending on it, like five or ten grand would be probably a good place to start with. But people can certainly get away with much less. Uh, it's just better to not be strapped for cash. If you your product's selling and then like, whoa, I don't have enough to order again, but I'm clearly going to make the money back. Like you don't want to be in that position. So it it really it really helps to have have a little bit of a nest egg. So with this whole business, it, because it's inventory, that's 
it's not going to be like maybe starting a YouTube channel where you, you have almost zero dollars. Like this does involve uh, a bit of a some startup. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, it's it's less than I thought. I'll 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 grant you that. Um, have you experienced any real setbacks so far? Do you have any advice to give to people to maybe avoid them? Yeah, so my niche that I picked is very – I would probably not recommend it selecting it just because uh, it is very difficult to advertise. So I think you know we're talking about marijuana products. We're talking about to, quote-unquote tobacco products. And any of the big platforms, you can't advertise on them, so you have to you have to work different. It's harder to get your name out there and get things started. For example, as you mentioned, only one of my products is on Amazon for for that very reason. Okay. Uh, my other product is a it's a little wooden box and it pops out with a little like one hitter pipe. So there's dozens of people that were selling it, and I had Amazon confirm that they would sell it or allow me to sell it. And then when it arrived or when it's ready, they changed their mind. And said, no new people can start this product. Mm-hmm. So, it, it because it's that one is more of a gray item. It, it it's it's a little bit it's a bit more risky. So that's where I have to take that off platform and sell it on my own. So you know, selling on eBay is eBay's five you know, percent of the size of Amazon, and I got to ship it myself. So it 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 changes the equation. Uh, with a wooden box, that's a little more more. It's easier to kind of I guess sanitize that for Amazon where. Sure. It's it's like look hey it's a box you know it's put whatever you want in it. No, I, I look I looked at your box and I'm like well I I see what it's for but I'm also like there's a lot of stuff that could be for. Yes. So that that was definitely a setback and and obviously with with my different photos there's different in that niche there's a lot of keywords that they don't like for you to use. So it, some of the setbacks were that and. Having my listing shut down in the beginning, like for a week, that so <laughs> when you when you have thousands of dollars invested and in, in months of time, you really start to lose a little sleep when Amazon's like, well, maybe you're going to have to just ship this all to your house. You know what I mean? Like that's not. But I think with any business, it's, it's going to be a roller coaster. Like you're going to have good days, bad days, great days, not so good days. So I, that's that's some of the stuff. But just know that you're really playing in their playground, and you got to work by their rules. So I also would say, like, looking at your niche, so I was just thinking, like, well, what could you add that could be more than one thing? Well, an herb grinder, because you can grind other herbs. Um, But when I pull it up, there is just a metric crap ton of people selling that. So there's a a double-edged sword there. Number one, you got a massive amount of competition you have to differentiate yourself from in a product that's not that big a differentiation other than you and maybe your logo and your brand. Um but you have you clearly then have a really big market. The other side of it is, I guess, if you can find a niche that's not well served, then you can kind of own it. But then you're also obviously dealing with a smaller market. So it's like no matter what you do, and anywhere in between those two extremes, you're playing that game. Yeah, it really it's it's a very it's a very interesting niche to be in. Where it's 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 almost come full circle. Where we have like tobacco is up to twenty one now federally. It's like. Before you go to a head shop and they're like, "Well, this is strictly for tobacco use. You can't yeah. use it for anything else. Don't even talk about anything else." Yeah. Now it's like it's strictly not for tobacco use. It's just weed only. And then now, oh, it's okay. It's okay now. Like, it's, it's <laughs> time for it. oh, it's it's just oh god, the 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 love of the state. 
Uh, yeah. I'll just I'll, we're not going to kick the state today. There's no need to. We do it all the time. Um, what is what is the best and worst part of the business that you're in now? So I would say that we mentioned some of the hardships and some of the, the best parts is uh, I, I really find it satisfying to when I first got my I designed the product for Monstead SketchUps when I first had held it in my hands like that was really cool it's like something I created I've been talking about been working on. And it exists, and someone else made it, and I didn't make it, and it's replicable. It's That was really cool, and that was a really satisfying moment. So building something that's your own and having your own business, that, that I think is really, in itself, is, is one of the best parts of the whole deal. Um, having access to an enormous marketplace and being having the potential to, to not drive in the, the metal casket every morning to work and commute and do all that stuff, that's, that's another good carrot to be dangled in front of you. So that that those are some of the best parts, and then also like I really, it's pretty cool to see like as you saw in the reviews, like there's good ones, just people that have pictures of someone. Not only they get to hold my product and it's created, but people are using it and they like it and they're commenting like that's pretty cool. I like that part of it. And the bad sides are, I think we mentioned some of them is is it's really you're working in a platform that's not yours. You have to buy by all the rules. Um, there is that cash flow concern up and down, and it, it really is. It can be a risk, right? Like, there's, it's not without risk. If you were to pick the wrong product for whatever reason, it, it could flop, and you have to junk it all, and you lose your investment. So that some of that stuff can be can be bad, but managed. But um, one thing I would say is probably seller support, which is the the team in overseas that is what you have to work with as a seller. There, as you mentioned, with some of the outsource stuff, they're they're reading pretty heavily on a script. So, so you have to really fight to get any resolution on things or get the correct one. So that's a that's a major hurdle to, the, to uh, that, that doesn't necessarily brighten my day. I'll put it that way. Well, and I guess like one of my things with your niche is, and I'm I'm a big advocate for the cannabis industry. Always have been, um, but there is a certain portion of your customer base that's stoned all the time, <laughs> and maybe that's why they can't figure out how a lock works. <laughs> like because like dumb customers are the the bane of your business. And it's not like the old days when you could just tell a customer, you know what, here's your money back, go piss off and don't yeah. bother me. And, like, that that guy was gone. Uh, a product like Amazon, you know, it's it's every bit of dirty laundry is there for the world to see, which is good and bad depending on what you're dealing with. Because some customers are really not worth having. Um, I, and I know it's hard for anybody that's, like, not been in business for any significant period of time to – they just think, i got to get as much business as I can. There are customers that will suck the living lifeblood out of your business. Like, if I have to spend five hours to make a customer happy who bought a $50 product, yeah, I, I can't do that because my time should be spent keeping customers happy instead of trying to make the angry you know, guy. But in some instances, you may have to deal with that person where in the past you would have just said, dude, no more, go away. You know, so that and on platforms like eBay and Amazon, there's more of that. So I guess that would be an issue for some. Um, of course, you could be a jerk like me and <laughs> or John Willis. <laughs> I don't see him ever selling on Amazon. I don't know if you're familiar with John Willis from SOE Gear, but <laughs> would he tear a new one or something if they? Were? Oh, this is a guy that if you complain enough, he'll do a sale and use your name as a discount code. Oh no! <laughs> and throw it up on his Facebook page and sell. You know, like. $100,000 worth of gear uh, on sale using your name just to piss you off. I, yeah. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And that's not, I'm, I'm not making that up. That is a real story. Um, so, uh, next up, what are the risks when your income is heavily relied upon Amazon and how you, how, how could you mitigate those? Because, you know, one thing I worry about is an affiliate. And, and in some ways, I have a lot more risk than you do because they can just decide we don't want to do this anymore. Right? right. And I, I do a pretty good income off of the affiliate program and they can just shut it off. Two and a half years ago, you know, two, I guess three years ago now, they just, maybe two years ago, whatever it was, they flipped a switch and they just cut pay out to affiliates. Buy about 50% on most products. Oh, wow. Okay. So you sell the same amount and you make half the money today. Huh. It's still, and the reason they did it is still the best thing you can do as an affiliate online today is be, is work with Amazon. It is, it pays better than anything else when, if you're good at it. But that's, that's obviously when I have, you know, basically a revenue stream in my business, it's basically a market segment for me at this point, a business unit. That's something I worry about. So as a seller, I would worry too, because now I got inventory and everything. Like you get, like you mentioned, some people get kicked off or whatever. So is there anything you can do to mitigate that? Yeah, this, it's really just building as much as you can off platform and, and trying to build in some resiliency, building in whether you need to start your own. Whether you need to take some of the shipping stuff in-house at a worst-case scenario, um, but it's really getting people onto your – building up an attention, building up your – let's just say your Instagram. I know that's another big site, but building up your Instagram account, building up your Facebook following, building up external traffic sources to get to your your personal store, like your Shopify, for example. That's anything you can do, whether it's inserts, whether it's it's, it's any type of marketing you can do. I think that that's really what your goal should be is just getting that customer list and, and building that up. And in terms of Amazon changing their rules overnight, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Yeah. I think you just have to roll with those punches and you have to adapt. And it's it's like any other type of business where things are changing. How do we how do we get around them? How do we go how do we go over them? Like how, how do we adapt to this? I think is really what you have to keep worrying about. So it's it is interesting. It's not boring. Put it that way. Gotcha. So. If there were some listeners that would like to learn more about how to set up an e-commerce business, do you have any good resources they can use? Yeah, I would say is when you're starting out is I would spend some time on YouTube is where I started off. I mean, there's different places you can go, but I started watching a lot of YouTube videos. So I just searched for Amazon FBA and I watched videos from different people about every component, every step of the way. And some of those, some of those, like there's a, a, channel called Yanni um, Viskovich, so he's just the name of a guy, uh, and he has some good stuff. There's another guy called Brax, and he has some good stuff. And, and But I would just take a collection of, I would watch the same topic on multiple people and come to your own conclusion on it. I, I think that's that's really the best way to do it. And one thing I would caution you is, is as we mentioned, Amazon's rules change. I would try to focus on more recent videos because things can sometimes get stale in terms of what the rules are. But Facebook is a great place to uh, – also Facebook groups is a great place to get information. So if you find a YouTube person that has, does this information, they'll often they'll have their own like private Facebook group, kind of like the Survival Podcast, where people can just post only within there. And people can – this is a great place to ask questions. It's just like your old school message boards. You can search for questions, and people probably had the same question to you or same issue. So that, that's a really good place to, to get stuff figured out. So those, those are – two of the main places I would start. And there's obviously a bunch of different uh, different sources you can use. So, like, I don't, are you familiar with Fiverr, Jack? The, the, yeah. It's a, uh, 
that's a that's what I use for a lot for like logos. Like it's basically a, free, like a finding a freelancer for different things. Like whether they're making a logo, you can have people make videos for you. You can have people do the product photos. Like so, this is the other thing: is understand the whole process, and then if there's a piece that you're not really good at, know how it works, but then see, hey, can I can I have someone else do this if I'm not that great at it? And that's that's somewhere where you can fill in some of those gaps. So, and I can tell you with absolute definitiveness that there is a significant portion of people that you listen, you're listening to this right now, who uh, partake in the sacred herb. Um, so, if if they were maybe interested in seeing your product line uh, and, and hooking up with you, where, where would they go to find that? Other than oh, Amazon. Guess. Other than Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the jazz cabbage. Okay. So, my my website is primalproducts.com. It's primal spelled with a Y. And on there, you can just click on Shop Our Products. It'll bring me right to my Shopify. You can see all the stuff that I have, and uh, which is two products at this at this stage. And you know, should you should you want to buy it, they're on they're cheaper on my Shopify than on Amazon. So, but still shipped by Amazon. So, gotcha. That, that's the thing conundrum. Yeah, direct that. relationships are great when you can do them. I I just realized there's a question I spaced on, and we were talking about product development, finding a supplier, all that, and I, I sure. just didn't ask you. Where did you find your your supplier in China? Did you go through Alibaba or like where where did you find that manufacturer to actually build the product and ship it to the states for you? That's a that's a great consideration point and question. Is yes, Alibaba, uh, okay. and they just say they don't say Alibaba and the Forty Thieves for no reason. Okay, <laughs> got to be careful on there. Uh, don't don't wire any money in your first order. But yeah. again, just look up some videos, look how to do it. But I talked to maybe 20 different suppliers that make wood products because that's what my first product is and said hey here's specifications and I asked them you know, what's your minimum order quantity how much does this cost how long would this take what are your different materials you, you kind of get a laundry list of did, different did things did you ask them for like any kind of references or anything because you are dealing with somebody that if they screw you there's not a lot you can do so Alibaba does have trade assurance which, okay. which some parameters around it and they do kind of like on eBay like there is a rating uh, like I wouldn't deal with someone that doesn't do trade assurance but trade okay. assurance is where they'd step in and they would if they didn't fulfill their end of the bargain I think there's some recompense for you okay so the, especially in your first order I would only stick to that solid but that's, man. that's a great place to find uh, and, and you can find the same this Amazon is probably on Alibaba so. Well, Jeff, let me tell you, man, this was a home run of an interview, man. I really appreciate this. I think that, you know, my view is if two or three people out there by the end of this year are doing what you're doing, it's a it's a super home run. It's a, it's a grand slam because I actually believe that I don't care if it's this. I don't care if it's something else. The number one thing a person can do in their life to improve their individual personal liberty and freedom is to have an income stream independent of an employer. I, I don't care how the square root of F all you do it. I just care that you do it. And it's the income. It's the freedom. And like I always say, though, it's like people don't get it. That tax code is so tall you have to get up on a stepladder to touch the top of it. But only 10% of it's what you got to do and 90% of it's how you get out of it. And I have people asking me all the time, well, how do you get out of it? Well, step one, you need a business because mm -hmm. most of that 90% isn't for you. It's for the people that wrote it who are lobbyists who work for corporations, and they wrote it so that businesses can get out of it. And we can't play ball the way the giant corporations can, but we can we can play on the same field, and we get to partake in a lot of the rules. And um, 
I'll just say that my total income was much higher this year as in what I get to keep than had I had a job with the same amount of income. Wow. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a big difference in being able to say, oh, this is an expense. Yeah. And so there is, it's a trifecta. It's the time freedom, it's the additional income, and it's playing the tax game. Um, it's not for everybody, but if you can do it, you know, it's for you. And I would say this, like, you lament your niche a little bit, but you can still build your niche. The most important thing you've gained in the last roughly a year is the knowledge. Your, your ramp up, if you decided to go into another niche tomorrow morning, will be five to six times faster and, yep. and with less error than your first time through. You just got basically a college education in a year on how to sell product online. And, and that is incredibly valuable. Wearing all the hats, your, your logistics, your supply chain, your inventory, accounting, your marketing, your sales, every component you, you kind of have to be a little dangerous with to uh, at least enough to do it. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And I didn't know all this stuff before. I didn't realize it takes four months to get something from China to, yeah. to the U.S. And as you're saying, tax code, like you need a new digital camera. Oh, I'm going to take some product flows with that. Hey, that's a deduction. That's if, a deduction. If you're gonna, Drive your car to the post office to drop off some products you're selling. That's a that's a deduction too. So there's different ways that, like you can do. You're you gonna go play. out to eat, and your wife's in your business, and y'all discuss your upcoming <laughs> event. It just became a 50% deduction on what you spend on dinner. Uh, you know, great. if you take a trip, if you do anything connected to your business, it's a business trip. Half of all your meals, your lodging, your plane, everything becomes deductible. Yes. As long as you can justify it. And it's not hard to justify. You just need a good CPA. But man, I, I really appreciate you, uh, you, you being with us today. It's, uh, it's flipping that model from, from, you know, work, earn, pay taxes and spend to, yeah. to, to work, earn, spend money and pay taxes on what's left and make more daggone money. So I, I wish you well with this again. If y'all want to check out Jeff's website, it's primal. P-R-Y-M-A-L, primalproducts.com. Um, if you if you like stuff in that world, I'm going to tell you, you you'll like what he's done. It, it's pretty cool. One of the things I noticed is there's an awful lot of your reviews that have pictures. And I would say for the number of reviews, which is like 80-some-odd reviews, more percentage with pictures than typical of a product from all the time I've been on Amazon you know, over the years looking at products. People are proud of it once they have it. I've even seen pictures comparing it to their previous products, showing how much larger it is, how much better it is. So Jeff's doing a good job. He clearly put a lot of work into this. So if that's your world, consider checking out Primal Products. I'll have links to Jeff's site, his Instagram, and his Facebook in the show notes today. And with that, Jeff, man, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for the opportunity, and thanks for everything you do. Great interview. I kind of want to wrap up a little bit quickly today. I got a lot going on here today. I just want to remind you one of the ways you can really help support this show is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you do that, you help the survival podcast and the work that we do no matter what you buy. Today I got a real quick one for you. I haven't brought this one around in a while. It's my favorite straight up just drinking tea. You guys know I like to make herbal tea. Sometimes I blend green or black teas in with them. Sometimes they're pure herbals. Um, but I like to do a lot of them have my own formulations. But you know what I like to just drink when I don't want to do any work or anything just for a tea? Tea. Earl Grey. Hot. 
Yeah, Earl Grey, man. I love Earl Grey. I do kind of kind of groove on the Captain Jean-Luc Picard vibe with that whole thing. T, Earl Grey, hot, right? Um, but the truth is I loved Earl Grey when I was a little kid long before I ever knew anything about Captain Picard. It's just a fantastic tea. It is uh, it is infused with something called oil of bergamot, which is a type of citrus and orange, but it doesn't taste like orange. It has a velvety texture. It's really good. And, you know, you go to the store and you buy a little box of tea bags, and it's 5 or $6 for decent Uruguay tea. The Davidson's product is completely organic, and you get a pound of it for about 13 bucks. And with either your tea infuser or tea ball or your French press or ain't something you should have, you know, uh, you can make an awful lot of tea with a pound of Earl Grey. It's fantastic. It's a good Earl Grey hot. And I'll tell you what, it makes a damn good iced tea as well. And I'll tell you my favorite way to make this is an iced tea in the summertime. You mix it up, just like you know you normally would. You brew the, the strength you like. And then when you're brewing the tea itself, get yourself a couple sprigs of mint and make a mint Earl Grey iced tea. It is so simple. And anybody can grow mint. You should be growing mint. You want to grow some exotic mints? You want to grow some exotic mints? Have you ever heard of exotic mints? Is there such a thing? Yeah, there is. Well, one of the things Nick wants to bring you, remember what rareplantstore.com at the beginning of the show, is like this really cool package of mints. So, hey, instead of, you know, just instead of just doing the Earl Grey tea today, maybe pick up one of those tree packages that I was talking about. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to support us, doesn't matter what you buy, do your shopping at tspaz.com, and you'll help support the show and the work that we do. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up today. Um, we've got for you in ELO week, for you young whippersnappers, is Electric Light Orchestra, a song called Can't Get You Out of My Head. Now, the last two songs that we played by ELO were songs that even if you don't know who ELO is and you're not in the 70s or early 80s music, you probably still heard them. This one you may or may not feel that way about. If you were around in the 70s and early 80s, you've heard this song. If you weren't, you again, you may not have. It's actually one of their more popular songs. First hit, uh, didn't number one or nothing, but did chart in the United States. Didn't chart back in the U.K. where ELO is actually from. Um but it's called Can't Get You Out of My Head. So the ELO music we've been playing for you has been kind of the funky, you know, disco music, you know, getting out there and, and doing your John Travolta stuff, if you were alive back when that was going on and know what I'm talking about. Well, this would be the song that if you went to school in the late 70s, early 80s, junior high or something like that, and you was at a dance and everybody's like, just going nuts, and I'll just slow down, and you put your hands around the girl's neck, she puts them around your waist, and you, this is that song. It's one of those many songs like that from that time. And it's just a cool song, but I, until today, I never really knew what the genesis of it was or where it came from or what it was really all about. Um, well, this is what Jeff Lynn, who wrote the song, uh, a member of ELO, said about it. It's about a guy in a dream who sees this vision of loveliness and wakes up and finds that he's actually a clerk working in a bank. And he hasn't got any chance of getting her or doing all these wonderful things that he thought he was going to do. It was just a dream, and he realizes he's nothing but a clerk at a bank. Let me tell you something. That's a great way to write a song. That is a shitty way to live your life. No matter who you are and where you're at, if you can still fog a mirror, folks, your mission on this planet is not yet done. Get out and see to it 
and build the things into your life that you really want. And plant some trees while you're at it. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Oh, she's done.